This is Notoriously Episcopalian. My name is Kelly Hudlow. This is a podcast of sermons and musings all about the Christian faith and especially about being an Episcopalian. This is a sermon for the 17th Sunday after Pentecost, September 27th, 2020 at Trinity Commons. The principal text for the sermon is Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, which includes the Christological hymn, and Matthew chapter 21, verses 23 to 32, which includes the parable of the two sons. So there is an episode of the radio show, This American Life, entitled Superpowers. It originally aired uh, almost 20 years ago now, but they rebroadcast it from time to time. In This American Life, you know, there's normally three or four acts in a show, a different story for each act. And so the first act is told by a writer, John Hodgman. John has the practice of going around and asking people a simple question. Which superpower would you choose? flight or invisibility. The basic parameters that he gives are whichever power they choose, they will be the only one with that particular superpower and they can't choose both. The way John tells it after he's asked this question so many times is that there seems to be a pattern to the decision making that people go through. There's several stages to making their decision. First there is a a gut response. They'll initially choose flight or invisibility. But then they'll start asking sort of practical consideration questions starting with the conditions of the superpower. Like if I'm invisible can I still wear clothes? Can people hear me when I walk around? If I can fly, how fast can I fly? And can I carry someone with me when I do? This then moves to sort of philosophical considerations about their initial choice. They start identifying some things that they would want to do that might be questionable. This then usually quickly leads to some sort of self-recrimination where they start to realize that if they have this power, they would likely do very bad things with it. John notes that none of the folks that he has asked this question to said that they would fight crime or evil in the world. And when he's asked some of them about that, they usually explain that, well, one superpower isn't enough to become a superhero, that in addition to flight, they would need super strength, or in addition to invisibility, they would need to be invincible before they could start saving the world. John's question, shows that sometimes the simplest question can have a lot of complications to it. And Jesus is certainly a fan of asking complicating questions, like about the authority of John the Baptist. He leaves the chief priest and the elders at the point of being caught with no good answer, so all they can say is, I don't know. Jesus then moves on, after telling a short story, to another seemingly simple question about which of the two sons did the will of the father. Here, the chief priests and the elders feel better equipped to answer, and they're quick to say that it was the son that actually did what his father asked, even though he had originally said no. 
in telling this story, Jesus is pointing to the fact that to be a follower of his requires not just saying the right words, but doing the right actions. It takes more than just saying yes, you actually have to follow through and do what is asked for. In our reading today from Paul's epistles, actually, to the Philippians, another typo on my part, Paul challenges the church at Philippi to live in unity, love, and humility as exemplified by Jesus Christ. Jesus, who did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, humbled himself, and became obedient to, point, to the point of death, even death on a cross. This beautiful hymn or piece of poetry, the church has turned into a statement on the nature of Christ's incarnation. And if we read it that way only, we manage to keep this beautiful passage very distant from us. This passage is about Jesus, not about us. But Paul is clearly writing to the church in Philippi to encourage and guide the people's behavior not to teach them about the nature of Christ and his incarnation. The extreme humble living that Paul points to Jesus as the example of puts the Philippians at odds with their surrounding culture. Philippi was a Roman city with all the status, power structure, and high society that goes along with that. It was a culture that was determined by what you had, who you knew, and how far up the ladder you could climb. So Paul puts it to the church at Philippi that they had a choice to live as a successful Roman or to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Nowadays, it seems pretty easy to be a Christian. It's easy to make the claim, but to do the work is still just as hard as it was for the Philippians in the first century. Living in unity, love, and humility is hard work, maybe impossible work. It means giving up selfish ambition. It means looking to the interest of others. It means letting the same mind be in us that was in Christ Jesus. This phrase that introduces the poem is ambiguous. The traditional understanding is that Paul is encouraging the Philippians to look to the earthly ministry of Jesus as the example to follow. But the phrase can also mean that we are to act out of the fact that we are in Christ, that we act like our salvation is real. Perhaps Paul meant both, because if we act based on the fact that we are in Christ and saved, then we are living a life that should resemble Christ's earthly ministry, a life of healing, love, and reconciliation. Choosing to follow Christ isn't selecting a path up the social ladder. It isn't picking between superpowers that still leave you lacking. To follow Jesus is to be baptized into Christ's death and resurrection. It's what gives us the grace to live in unity, even in our diversity and disagreement. To live in Christ is to follow Christ's earthly example. To live as a people in Christ, we are to live where, as salvation is a fact. It is what empowers us to live in humility and obedience. The folks that were asked which superpower they would pick, 
usually picking one very quickly, flight or invisibility, would often get to the point where they felt guilty about whatever their initial choice was because they realized that they would misuse that power. So in the end, the final answer that they would give was usually the opposite of where they started. So if they had picked invisibility, they reasoned their way down to, well, I should pick flight instead and vice versa. For Christians today, hearing this reading from Paul to the church in Philippi, hearing the parable from Matthew, we might feel guilty about choices we have made. I can think of times that I've said yes to God but not followed through with the work. Times that I've chosen the easier, more expedient path instead of the one that is based on love and humility. But here, I think, is the real good news in the readings today. We can change our mind. We can even change what we believe. The son in the parable, the first one, initially says no, but then changes his mind and acts according to his father's will. Jesus' critique of the chief priest and the elders is not that they didn't follow John to begin with. It's that once they saw the signs that, what, that John's power came from God, they didn't change their mind or their behavior in response to it. And when we hear Paul's letter to the Philippians, and maybe we cringe a little bit because we know we have not lived in unity and love and humility, now we know that not only can we change our minds, that we have the ability to change our minds, but to be people in Christ, we have the responsibility to do so. Amen.